The Common Man, Part 1, by Guy McCord, also known as Dallas McCord Reynolds. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ralph J. Martin. The Common Man, Part 1, by Guy McCord, also known as Dallas McCord Reynolds. It would, of course, take a trio of ivory tower scientists to conceive of tracking down that statistical entity, the common man, and testing out an idea on him, and only the ivory tower type would predict that egregiously wrongly. Frederick Braun, M.D., Ph.D., and various other D's, pushed his slightly crooked horn rims back on his nose and looked up at the two-story wooden house. There was a small lawn before it, moderately cared for, and one tree. There was the usual porch furniture. The house was going to need painting in another six months or so, but not quite yet. There was a three-year-old hover car parked at the curb of a make that anywhere else in the world but America would have been thought of ostentatious in the view of seeming economic status of the householder. Frederick Braun looked down at the paper in his hand, then up at the house again. He said to his two companions, By Caesar, I will admit it is the most average-looking dwelling I have ever seen. Patrick O'Gara said impatiently, Well, do we or don't we? Her hair should have been on a ponytail or bouncing on her shoulders, or at least in the new Etruscan revival style, not drawn back in its efficient bun. Ross Woolley was unhappy. He scratched his fingers back through his reddish crew cut. This isn't going to sound silly, Patricia said testedly. We've been through all that, Rossi. Good heavens. Nothing ventured, nothing. Braun let the sentence dribble away as he stuffed the paper into a coat pocket, which had previously been used as a waste receptacle for many a year and led the way up the cement walk, his younger companions immediately behind. He put his finger to the doorbell and cocked his head to one side. There was no sound in the depths of the house. Dr. Braun muttered, Bell out of order. It would be, Ross said sourly. Remember, average, here, let me, he rapped briskly on the wooden door jam. They stood for a moment, then he knocked again, louder, saying almost as though, hopefully, maybe there's nobody home. All right, all right, take it easy, a voice growled even as the door opened. He was somewhere in his thirties, easygoing face, brownish hair, 
bluish of eye and moderately good-looking. His posture wasn't the best, and he had a slight tummy, but he was a goodish masculine specimen by Midwestern standards. He stared out at them, defensive now that it was obvious they were strangers. Were they selling something, or in what other manner were they attempting to intrude on his well-being? His eyes went from the older man's thin face to the football hero's heft of the younger, then to Patricia O'Gara. His eyes went up and down her figure and became approvingly in spite of the straight business suit she affected. He said, What could I do for you? Mr. Crowley? That's right. I'm Ross Woolley, and my friends are Patricia O'Gara and Dr. Frederick Braun. We'd like to talk to you. There's nobody sick here. Patricia said impatiently, Of course not. Dr. Braun isn't a practicing medical doctor. We are research biochemists. We're scientists, Ross told him, putting it on what he assumed was a man's level. There's something on which you could help us. Crowley took his eyes from the girl and scowled at Ross. Me? Scientist? I'm just a country boy. I don't know anything about science. There was a grudgingly self-depreciation in his tone. Patricia took over, a miracle smile overwhelming her air of briskness. We'd appreciate the opportunity to discuss it with you. Dr. Braun added in the clincher. And it might be remunerative. Crowley opened the door wider. Well, just so it doesn't cost me nothing. He stepped back for him. Don't mind the place. Kind of mussed up. Fact is, the wife left me about a week ago, and I haven't gotten around to getting somebody to come in and kind of clean things up. He wasn't exaggerating. Patricia O'Gar had no pretensions to the housewife's art herself, but she sniffed when she saw the condition of the living room. There was a dirty shirt drooped over the sofa back, and beside the chair which faced the TV set, there were a half a dozen empty beer cans. The ashtrays hadn't been emptied for at least days, and the floor had obviously not been swept since the domestic tragedy which had sent Mrs. Crowley packing. Now that the three strangers were within his castle, Crowley's instinct for hospitality asserted themselves. He said, make yourselves comfortable. Here, we'd all get these things out of the way. Anybody like a drink? I got some beer in the box, or he smirked at Patricia. I got some port wine you might like, not this belly wash you buy it by the gallon. They declined the refreshments. It wasn't quite noon. Crowley wrestled the chair which had been before the TV set around so he could sit facing them and then sat himself down. He didn't get this and his face showed it. Frederick Braun came to the point. Mr. Crowley, he said. Did it ever occur to you that somewhat amidst our nearly 100 million American males, 
There is the average man. Crowley looked at him. Braun cleared his throat and with his thumb and forefinger pushed his glasses more firmly on the bridge of his nose. I suppose that it isn't exactly the technical way in which to put it. Ross Woolley shifted his football shoulders and leaned forward. No, doctor, that's exactly the way to put it, he said to Crowley very seriously. We've done this most efficiently. We've gone through absolute piles of statistics. We've done what? Crowley all but wailed. Take it easy, will you? What are you talking about? Patricia said impatiently, Mr. Crowley, you are the average American, the man on the street, the common man. He frowned at her. What do you mean, common? I'm as good as anybody else. That's exactly what we mean, Ross said placidly. You are exactly as good as anybody else, Mr. Crowley. You're the average man. I don't know what the devil you're talking about. Pardon my language, miss. Not at all, Patricia sighed. Dr. Braun, why don't you take over? We seem to be all speaking at once. The little doctor began to enumerate on his fingers. The center of population has shifted to this vicinity. So the average American lives here in the Middle West. Population is also shifting from rural to urban, so the average man lives in a city of approximately this size. Determining average age, height, weight, and simple with government data as complete as they are. Also racial background. You, Mr. Crowley, are predominantly English, German, and Irish, but have traces of two or three other nationalities. Crowley was staring at him. How in the devil did you know that? Ross said wearily, We've gone through a lot of trouble. Dr. Braun hustled on. You've had the average amount of education. Didn't quite finish high school. You make average wages working in a factory as a clerk. You spent some time in the army, but you never saw combat. You drink moderately. I'm married and have one child which is average for your age. Your IQ is exactly average, and you vote Democrat except occasionally when you switch over to Republican. Now, wait a minute, Crowley protested. You mean I'm the only man in this whole country that's like that? I mean, you mean I'm the average guy right in the middle? Patricia O'Gar said impatiently, you are the nearest thing to it, Mr. Crowley. Actually, possibly one of a hundred persons would have served our purpose. Okay, Crowley interrupted, holding up a hand. That gets us to the point. What's this here purpose? What's the big idea prying like into my affairs until you learned all this about me? And what's this stuff about me getting something out of it? Right now, I'm between jobs. The doctor pushed his battered horn rims back on his nose with his forefinger. Yes, of course, he said reasonably. Now we get to the point. Mr. Crowley, how would you like to be invisible? The three of them looked at him. It seemed to be his turn.
Crowley got up and walked into the kitchen. He came back in a moment with an open can of beer from which he was gulping even as he walked. He took the can away from his mouth and said carefully, You mean like a ghost? No, of course not, Braun said in irritation. By Caesar, man, have you no imagination? Can't you see it was only a matter of time before someone, possibly working on an entirely different subject of research, stumbled upon a practical method of achieving invisibility? Now wait a minute, Crowley said in his voice belligerent. I'm only a country boy, maybe, without an egghead background. But I'm just as good as the next man and just as smart. I don't think I like your altitude. Attitude, Ross Woolley muttered unhappily. He shot a glance at Patricia O'Gar, but she ignored him. Patricia turned on the charm. Her face opened into a smile, and she said soothingly, Don't misunderstand, Mr. Crowley. May I call you Don? I'm sure we're going to be associates. You see, Don, we need your assistance. This was more like it. Crowley sat down again and finished a can of beer. Okay, it won't hurt to listen. What's the pitch? The older man cleared his throat. We'll cover it quickly so that we get to the immediate practical aspects. Are you interested in biodynamics? Um, uh, no, of course not. Let me see. Are you at all familiar with the laws pertaining to refraction? No. He cleared his throat again unhappily. Have you ever seen a Medusa, Mr. Crowley? The gelatinous, umbrella-shaped, free-swimming form of marine invertebrate related to the coral polyp and the sea anonone? Russ Woolley scratched his crew cut and grimaced. Jellyfish, doctor, jellyfish. But I think the Portuguese man of war might be better example. Oh, jellyfish, Crowley said. Sure, I've seen jellyfish. I got an aunt who lives near Baltimore. We used to go down there and swim in Chesapeake Bay. Sting the devil out of you. What about it? Patricia leaned forward, still smiling graciously. I really don't see a great deal of point going into theory, gentlemen. She looked at Ross and Dr. Braun and then back to Crowley. Don, I think what the doctor was leading up to was an attempt to describe in layman's language the theory of the process into which we've stumbled. He was using jellyfish as an example of a life form all but invisible. But I'm sure you're not interested in technical terminology, are you? A good deal of goobly gawk, really, don't you think? Yeah, that's what I say. Let's get to the point. You mean you think it's possible to make a guy invisible? Nobody could see him? It's not a matter of thinking, Ross said sourly. We've done it. Crowley stared at him. Done it? What do you mean? Personal? You got invisible? Yes, all three of us. Once each. And you come back all right? So anybody can see you again? The doctor said reasonably. Here we are, quite visible. 
The effect of the usual doses lasts for approximately 12 hours. They let him assimilate it for a few minutes. Some of the ramifications were coming home to him. Finally, he got up and went into the back again for another can of beer. By this time, Ross Woolley was wishing he would renew his offer, but the other had forgotten his duties as host. He took the can away from his mouth and said, You want to make me visible? You want me to, like, kind of experiment on? His eyes thinned. Why pick me? The doctor said carefully, Because you're the common man, the average man, Mr. Crowley. Before we release development, we would like to have some idea of the scopes of the effect. The beer went down chuck-a-luck. Crowley put the can aside and licked his bottom lip and then rubbed it with a fingertip. He said slowly, Now take it easy while I think about this, he blinked. Why, you could just walk into a bank. The three were watching him empty-faced. Exactly, Dr. Braun said. Frederick Braun stared gloomily from the hotel suite's window at the street below. He peered absently at his thin wrist, looked blank for a moment, then realized all over again that his watch was being cleaned. He stared down at the street once more, his wrinkled face unhappy. The door opened behind him, and Patricia O'Gara came in briskly and said, No sign of the guinea pig, huh? No. Where's Rossi? The doctor cleared his throat. There was an item on the newscast, a humor bit. It seems that the head waiter of the gourmet... Have you ever eaten at the gourmet, Patricia? Do I look like a millionaire? At any rate, a half a pound of the best Caspian caviar disappeared. A spoonful at a time, right before his eyes. Patricia looked at him. Good heavens! Yes, well... Ross is going to pay the tab. Patricia looked at her watch. The effects will be wearing off shortly. Crowley will probably be back any time. We warned him about returning to visibility in the middle of some street, completely nude. She sank into a seat and looked at the doctor. I suppose you admit I was right. Her voice was crisp. The other turned on her. And just why would you say that? This caviar bit, our friend Donald Crowley, has obviously walked into the gourmet restaurant. Having heard it was the most expensive in New York and ate as much as he could stuff down the most expensive item on the menu. The elderly little doctor pushed his battered horn rims further back on his nose. Tell me, Patricia. When you made the experiment, did you do anything, uh, anything at all that saved you some money? Uncharacteristically, she suddenly giggled. I had the time of my life riding on a bus without a fare. Braun snorted. Then Dr. Crowley, in eating his caviar, did substantially the same thing. 
It probably been a life's ambitious of his to eat at an ultra swank restaurant and then walk out without paying. To be frank, the doctor cleared his throat apologetically. It's always been one of mine. Patricia conceded him a chuckle, but then said impatiently, It's one thing my saving 15 cents on a bus ride and his eating $25 worth of caviar. Merely a matter of degree, my dear, Patricia said in irritation. Why in the world did we have to bring him to New York, where he could pull such childish tricks? We could have performed the experiment right there in Far Cry, Nebraska. Dr. Braun abruptly ceased his pacing he had begun and found a chair. He absently stuck a hand into a coat pocket, pulled out a crumpled piece of paper, stared at it for a moment as though he had never seen it before, grunted, and returned it to his pocket. He looked at Patricia O'Gar. We felt on completely unknown territory he would feel less constrained, don't you remember? In his hometown, his conscience would be more apt to restrict him. Suddenly, something came to her. She looked at her older companion suspiciously. That newscast, was there anything else on it? Don't look innocent. You know what I mean. Well, there was one item. Out with it, she demanded. The Hotel Belfonte threatens to sue that French movie star, Bridget whatever her name is. Bridget Lauren, Patricia said, staring. What's that got to do with Donald Crowley? The good doctor was embarrassed. It seems that she came running out of her hotel suite, um, uh, semi-dressed and screaming that the hotel has a ghost. Good heavens, Patricia said with sudden vision. That's one aspect I hadn't thought of. Evidently, Crowley did. Patricia O'Gar said definitely, My point's been proven. Our average man is a slob. Give him the opportunity to exercise unlimited freedom without danger of consequence, and he becomes an undisciplined, dangerous lout. Ross Woolley had come in, scowling, just in time to catch most of that. He tossed his hat onto a table and fished in his pocket for a pipe and tobacco. Nuts, Pat, he said. In fact, it's just the opposite been proven. Don just on a fun binge. Like a kid in a candy shop. He hasn't done anything serious. Went into a fancy restaurant and ate some expensive food. Sneaking into the hotel room of the world's most famous sex symbol and got a close-up, he grinned suddenly. I wish I had thought of that. Ah, Patricia snorted. Our engagement is off, you peeping Tom. Children, children, Braun chuckled. I admit, though, I think Ross is correct. Don's done little we three didn't when we first given the robe of invisibility. We experimented. 
largely placefully, even childishly. Patricia bit out. This experiment is ridiculous anyways, and I don't know why I ever agreed to it. Scientific nonsense. Where are our controls? For it to make any sense, we have to work with scores of subjects. Suppose we do agree that the manner in which Don Crowley has reacted is quite harmless. Does that mean we can release this discovery to the world? Certainly not, Ross said suddenly. But you agreed that we go by the results of this. I agreed to no such thing, Rossy Woolly, you overgrown lug. All I agreed to was consider the results. I was, and am, the opinion that if the person our politicians so lovingly called the common man was release of restrictions inhibiting him, he'd go hog wild and destroy both society and himself. What is to prevent murder, robbery, rape, and a score of other crimes, giving invisibility for anyone who has a couple of dollars with which to go into a drugstore and purchase our serum? Her fiancé sighed deeply, jamming tobacco fiercely into the bowl of his briar. He growled, Look, you seem to think that the only thing that restricts a man is the fear of being punished. There are other things, you know. Good heavens, she said sarcastically. Name one. There is the ethical code in which he was raised, based on religion or otherwise. There is the fact that man is fundamentally good, to use a trite term, given the opportunity. My education has evidently been neglected, Patricia said, still argumentatively. I've never seen evidence to support your claim. I'm not saying individuals don't react negatively, given opportunity to be antisocial, he all but snarled. I'm just saying people in general, common little people, trend towards decency, desire the right thing. Individuals, my neck, Patricia snapped back. Did you ever hear of Rome and the games? Here a whole people, millions of them, were given the opportunity to indulge in statistic spectacles to their heart's desire. How many of them stayed home from the games? She laughed and ridiculed. Ron flushed. Some of them did confound it. Dr. Brunt had been taking in their debate uncomfortably, as though in spite of himself he said no. Very few, I'm afraid. Religious ethic, Patricia pursued relentlessly. The greatest of commandments is thou shalt not kill, but comes along a war in which killing become not only permissible, but an absolute virtue and all our good Christians, Jews, Mohammeds, even Buddhists, who supposedly are not allowed to kill mosquitoes, wait in with sheer happiness. 
or releases abnormal passions, Ross said grudgingly. You don't need a war. Look at the Germans, supposedly one of our most highly civilized people. When the Nazi government released all the restraints on persecution of the Jews, gypsies, and others, you know what happened. This began in peacetime, not in war. Dr. Braun shifted in his chair and he said in his low voice, We needn't look beyond our own borders. The manner in which our people have conducted themselves against the Maronites from the very beginning of white occupation and North America is quite shocking. Ross said to him, I thought you were on my side. The Indian Wars were a long time ago. We're more advanced now, Braun said softly. My father fought against Geronimo in Arizona. It wasn't so long ago as all that. Ross Woolley felt the argument going against him and lashed back. We've been over and over this. What's your point? Patricia said doggedly. The same point I tried to make from the beginning. This discovery must not be generally released. We'll simply have to suppress it. The door opened behind them. They turned. Nothing was there. Ross, scowling, lumbered to his feet to walk over and close it. Hey, take it easy, a voice laughed. Don't walk right into a guy. Ross stopped, startled. Dr. Braun and Patricia stood up and stared too. Crowley laughed. You look all like you've seen a ghost. Ross rumbled a begrudgingly chuckle. It'd be all right if we saw the ghost. It's not seeing you that's discerning. The air began to shimmer, somewhat like heat in the desert's face. Crowley said, hey, the stuff's wearing off. Where's my clothes? Where you left them? There in that bedroom, Ross said. We'll wait for you. He went back and rejoined his associates. The door to the bedroom opened. There was a shimmering, more obvious now, and then the door closed behind it. He rejoined us just in time, Dr. Braun murmured. Another ten minutes and he would have, um materialized down on the street. Ross hadn't finished the discussion. He set his face all in but a pout. What you don't realize, Pat, is the world has gone beyond the point where scientific discoveries can be suppressed. If we try to keep this lid on this today, the Russians or the Chinese or somebody will hit on it tomorrow. Patricia said impatiently, Good heavens! Let's don't bring the Cold War into it. Ross opened his mouth to snap something back at her, closed it again, and, and shrugged his bulky shoulders angrily. In a matter of less than ten minutes, the bedroom door reopened, and this time a grinning Crowley emerged, fully dressed, he said. Man, that was a devil of an experience. They saw him to a chair and had him talk it all through. He was candid enough, bubbling over with it all. In the some eleven and a half hours he'd been on his own, he had covered quite an area of Manhattan. Evidently, the first hour had been spent 
and becoming used to the startling situation. He couldn't even see himself, which, to his surprise, affected walking and even use of his hands. You had to get used to it. Then there was the fact that he was nude and felt nude and hence uncomfortable walking about in mixed pedestrian traffic. But that phase passed. Early in the game, he found that there was small percentage in getting into crowds. It led to all sorts of complications, including the starting of minor rows, one person thinking another was pushing when it was simply a matter of Crowley trying to get out from underfoot. Then he went through a period of the wonder of it all, being able to walk anywhere and observe people who had no suspicion that they were being observed. It was during that phase that he sought out the hotel in which he had read the chesty French movie actress Bridget Lauren was in residence. Evidently, he hit the nail right on the head. Bridget was at her toilet when he arrived on the scene. In telling about this, Crowley leered amusedly at Patricia from the side of his eyes. She ignored him. He'd then gone through a period when full realization of his immunity had hit him. At this point, he turned to Braun. Hey, Doc, have you ever eaten any caviar? You know, that Russian stuff. Supposed to be the most expensive food in the world. The doctor cleared his throat. Small amounts and hors d'oeuvres at the cocktail parties. Well, maybe I'm just a country boy, but the stuff tastes like fish eggs to me. Anyways, back to the story. He had gone into Tiffany's and into some of the other swank shops, and then into a bank or two, and stared at the treasures of Manhattan. At this point, he looked at Ross. You know, just being invisible don't mean all that. How are you going to pick up a wad of thousand-dollar bills and just walk out the front door with them? Everybody see the dough just kind of floating through the air. I came to the same conclusion myself when I experimented, Ross said wirily. He hadn't ridden on subways. Free. He had eaten various food in various swank restaurants. He even had drinks in name bars, sampling everything from metaxia to vintage champagne. He was of the opinion that even though he remained visible for the rest of his years, he'd still stick to bourbon and beer. He had gone down to Wall Street and into the offices of the top brokerage firms and into the sanctum sanctatoriums of the wealthiest of mucky mucks, but had been too impatient to stick around long enough to possibly hear something that might be profitable. He admitted grudgingly that he wouldn't have known what to listen for anyways. Frustrated there, he had gone back uptown and finally located the hangout of one of the more renowned sports promoters who was rumored to have a gangster connection and was currently under bail due to a boxing scandal. He had stayed about that worthy's office for an hour, claiming nothing more than several dirty jokes he had never heard before. All this activity had wearied him, so he went to the Waldorf, located in an empty suite in the tower, and climbed into a bed for a nap after cooling phoning room service to give him a call in two hours. That had almost led to disaster. 
Evidently, someone on room service had found the suite to be supposedly empty and sent the boy up to investigate. However, when he heard the door open, Crowley had merely rolled out of the bed and left, leaving a startled bellhop behind staring at rumpled bedclothes which had seemed to stir of their own accord. The rest of the day was little different from the first hours. He had gone about gawking in places he wouldn't have had he had been visible, into the dressing rooms of the Roxy, into the bars of swank private clubs, into the offices of the FBI. He would have liked to walk in on a poker game with some real high rollers playing, such as Nick the Greek, but he didn't have time nor know how how to go about finding one. Crowley wound it all up with a gesture of both hands, palms upward. I gotta admit, it was fun, but what the devil good is it? They looked at him questioningly. Crowley said, I mean, how's it practical? How can you make a buck out of it if you turn it up to the public like? Everybody go around robbing everybody else and you all wind up equal. Dr. Braun chuckled in depreciation. There would be various profitable uses, Don. One priceless one would be scientific observation of wildlife. For that matter, there would be valid usage in everyday life. There are often personal reasons for not wishing to be observed. Celebrities, for instance, wishing to avoid crowds. Yeah, Crowley laughed, or a businessman out with his secretary. Braun frowned. Of course, there are many other aspects. It would mean the end of such thing as the Iron Curtain, and also the end of such things as American immigration control. There are many, many ramifications, Don, some of which frighten us. The world would be never quite the same. Crowley leaned forward confidentially. Well, I'll tell you. I was thinking it all out. What we got to do is turn it over to the Army and soak them plenty for it. The others ignored his cutting himself a piece of the cake. Ross Woolley merely grunted bitterly. Patricia said impatiently, We thought of most of these things through, Don. However, Dr. Braun happens to be quite a follower of Lord Russell. Crowley looked at her blankly. He's a pacifist, she explained. Dr. Braun pushed his glasses back more firmly on his nose and said, The military have already have quite enough gadgets to destroy quite literally everything, and I trust one set of them no more than the other. If both sides had our discovery, then very well, each would go about attempting to find some manner of penetrating the invisibility or taking various measures to protect their top secrets. But to give it to one would be such an advantage that the other would have to embark immediately upon a desperate attack before the advantage could fully be realized. If we turn this over to the Pentagon, 
for exclusive use, the Soviets would have to begin a preventive war as soon as they learned of its existence. You are red, Crowley said, scowling. The doctor shrugged hopelessly. No, he said. Crowley turned to the other two. If you think it's a patriotic thing to do, why don't one of you sell it to the government? Patricia said testically, You don't understand, Don. Even if it were so thoroughly in disagreement that we could act unilaterally, we couldn't. You see, this is a three-way discovery. No one of us knows the complete process. His face twisted. Look, maybe some of this egghead stuff doesn't get through to me, but I'm not stupid, see? You got that stuff, haven't you? You gave me that shot this morning. Ron looked over, saying reasonably, Don, this discovery was hit upon by accident. The three of us are employed in the laboratories of a medical research organization. I am the department head. Patricia and Ross were doing some routine work on a minor problem when they separately stumbled upon some rather startling effects, practically at the same time. Each separately brought their discoveries to me. And working, you might say, intuitively, I added some conclusions of my own, and, well, I repeat, the discovery was stumbled upon. Crowley assimilated that. None of you knows how to do it, make those injections like by himself? That is correct. Each knows just one phase of the process. Each must combine with the other two. Patricia said impatiently, And thus far we wish to keep it that way. Rossi believes the discovery should be simultaneously revealed on a worldwide basis and let man adapt to it as best he can. I think it should be suppressed until man has grown up a little, if he ever does. The doctor facilitates between the two positions. What he would truly like to see is the method kept only for use of qualified scientists. But even a good doctor realized what a dream that is. Crowley took them all in, one at a time. Well, what the devil are you going to do? That's a good question, Ross said unhappily. This experiment is a farce, Patricia said irritably. After all our trouble locating Don, our common man... We have found out nothing we didn't know before. His reactions were evidently largely similar to our own, and she broke it off and frowned thoughtfully. The other three looked at her questioningly. Patricia said, You know, we simply haven't seen this thing through as of yet. What do you mean, Pat? Ross growled. She turned to him. We haven't given Don the chance to prove which one of us is right. 
one day is insufficient. Half the things he wished to do, such as sneaking around, picking up stock tips in Wall Street, and inside information on sporting events. Hey, take it easy, Crowley protested. I was just, like, curious, Ross said heatedly. That's not fair, I'll admit. I, too, thought of exactly the same possibilities. But thinking about them and going through with them are different things. Haven't you ever thought of what you do given the chance to be a worldwide supreme dictator? But truly, if the job were offered, would you take it? Good heavens, Patricia said disgustedly. Remind me to break off our engagement if I haven't already done it. I hate overpowering men. All I'm saying is that we have to give Don at least a week. One day isn't enough. Dr. Braun cocked his head to one side and said uncomfortably, I'm not sure, but that in a week's time our friend Don might be able... See here, Don. Would you mind going down to the hotel's bar while we three talk this through? Crowley obviously took umbrage to that, but there was nothing to be done. Frowning peevishly, he left. The doctor looked from one to the other of his associates. By Caesar, do you realize the damage friend Don could accomplish in a week's time? Patricia laughed at him. That's what I keep telling the two of you. Do you realize the damage that any person could do with invisibility? Not to speak of giving it to every Tom, Dick, and Harry in the world, Ross said. We've started this. Let's go through with it. I back Pat's suggestion that we give Don sufficient serum to give him 12 hours of invisibility a day for a week. However, we will ration it out to him day by day, so that if things get out of hand, we can cut his supply. That's an idea, Patricia said, and I suspect that within half the period, we'll all be convinced that the process will have to be suppressed. Ross leaned forward. Good. I suggest we three keep this suite and get down a room elsewhere so he won't be inhibited by our continual presence. Once a day, we'll give him enough serum for one shot and he can take it at any time he wishes to. He ran his beefy hand back through his red crew cut in gesture of satisfaction. If he seems to get it out of hand, we'll call it all off. Dr. Braun cleared his throat unhappily. I have premonitions of disaster, but I suppose if we've come this far, we should see the experiment through. Patricia said ungraciously, At least the lout will be limited in his accomplishments by his lack of imagination. Imagine going into that French girl's dressing room. Yeah, Ron said, Lucasry trying to make his big face open look dreamy. You wretch, Patricia laughed. The wedding is off.
but Crowley was no lout. He was full of the folk wisdom of his people. God helps those who help themselves. It's each man for himself, and the devil take the hindmost. Not to speak of, never give a sucker an even break. If I didn't do it, somebody else would. Had he had been somewhat more of a student, he might have also run into that nugget of ancient Greece. The morals are the invention of the weak to protect themselves from the strong. Once convinced that the three eggheads were incapable of realizing the potential of their discovery, he had little difficulty in arguing himself into the stand that he should. It helped considerably to realize that in all the world, only four persons, including himself, were aware of the existence of the invisibility serum. He spent the first day in what Marx called the Das Kapital, the original accumulation of capital. Although it would seem unlikely that even in his wild accusations of the most confirmed Marxists, no great fortune was ever before begun in such wise. It was not necessary, he found, to walk into a large bank and simply seemingly levitate the money out of the front door. In fact, that would have meant disaster. However, large sums of money are to be found elsewhere on Manhattan, and for 11 hours, Crowley used his native ingenuity and American know-how for most of which he had gleaned from watching TV crime shows, by the end of the day, he had managed to accumulate in the neighborhood of $100,000 and was reasonably sure that the news would not get back to his sponsors. The fact was, he had cleaned out the treasuries of several numbers rackets and those of two bookies. It was important, he well realized, that he'd be well underway before the three eggheads decided to lower the boom. The second day, he spent making his preliminary contacts in an operation which was helped by his activities the day before. He was beginning to already get the feel of the underworld element with which he had decided he was going to have to work, at least in the early stages of his operations. Any leader he be military, political, or financial, knows that true greatness lies in the ability to choose assistance. Be you a Napoleon with his marshals, a Roosevelt with his brain trust, a J.P. Morgan with his partners, the truism applies. No great leader has ever stood alone. But Crowley also knew instinctively that he was going to have to keep the number of his immediate associates small. They were going to have to know his secret, and no man is so naive as not to realize that while one person can keep a secret, it becomes twice as hard for two, and from that point on, the likelihood fades into geometric progression. On the fifth day, he knocked on the door of the suite occupied by Dr. Braun and his younger associates and pushed his way in without waiting for a response. The three were sitting around waiting his appearance and to issue him his usual day's supply of serum. They greeted him variously, Patricia with her usual brisk, almost condescending smile, 
Dr. Braun, with a gentle nod and speaking of his first name, Ross Woolley sourly. Ross obviously had some misgivings, the exact nature of which he couldn't quite put his finger upon. Crowley grinned and said, Hello, everybody. Sit down, Don, Braun said gently. We have been discussing your experiment. While the newcomer was finding his seat, Patricia said testedly, Actually, we're not quite happy about your reports, Don. We feel in, if you'll pardon us, an invasive quality about them, as though you weren't completely frank. In short, Ross snapped, have you been pulling things you haven't told us about? Crowley grinned at them. Now you folks are downright suspicious. Dr. Braun indicated some notes on the coffee table before him. It hardly seems possible that your activities could be confined largely to going to the cinema, to the swankier nightclubs, and eating in the more famed restaurants. Crowley's grinned into a half-embarrassed smirk. Patricia thought of a small boy who had been caught in mischief, but was still somewhat proud of himself. He said, well, I gotta admit, there have been a few things. Come on over to my place and I'll show you. He looked at Braun. Hey, Doc, about how much is one of them Rembrandt's paintings worth? Braun rolled his eyes toward the ceiling. Great Caesar, he murmured. He came to his feet and looked around at the rest of them. Let's go over there and learn the worst, he said. At the curb, before the hotel, Ross Woolley looked up and down the street for a cab. Crowley said, his voice registering self-depreciation, Over here. Over here was a several-tone, fantastically huge hover limousine. A natalie-dressed, sharp-looking, expressionless-faced young man behind the wheel. All three looked at Crowley. He opened the door. Climb in, folks. Nothing's too good for you scientists, huh? Inside, sitting next to a window with Patricia beside him and Dr. Braun at the far window and Ross in the jump seat, Crowley said expansively, This is Larry. Larry, this is Dr. Braun and his friends I was telling you about. Ross Woolley and Patrick O'Gar. They're like scientists. Larry said, Hey! Without inflection, and tooled the heavy car into traffic. Ross spun on Crowley. Don, where'd you get this car? Crowley laughed. You'll see. Take it easy. You'll see lots of things. They were too caught up in their own thoughts in the barrage of demands that they were leveling at Crowley to notice direction. It wasn't until they were already on the George Washington Bridge that Patricia blurted, Don, this isn't the way to your hotel, Crowley said tolerantly. Take it easy, Pat. We're taking a short detour. I have something I want to show you in Jersey. I don't like this, Ross snapped. The redhead shifted in his heavy shoulders in a reflective protest against the confining tweed coat he wore. Relax, Crowley told him reasonably. I've been thinking things out quite a bit, and I've got a lot to discuss with you folks. 
They were crossing the bridge now, and Larry headed into the maze, which finally unraveled itself to the point where it was obvious they were heading north. Larry hit the lift lever, and they rose ten feet from the surface. Braun said evenly, You have no intention of taking us to your room. You used that as a ruse to get us out of your hotel and further across the bridge until we are now in a position where it's quite impossible for us to summon police assistance. Crowley grinned. That's right, Doc. Didn't I tell you these three were real egghead Larry? Look how quick he figured that out. Larry grunted in what might have been amusement. Ross, growling low in his throat, turned suddenly in a jumpsuit and grabbed Crowley by the coat front. What's going on here? Crowley snapped, Larry! From seemingly nowhere, the chauffeur had produced a thin black automatic with now lazily pointing it, not so much at Ross as at Dr. Braun and Patricia. He said evenly, Easy, friend. Ross released his grip. Put that thing away, he blurted. Sure, sure. Larry said his voice, all but disinterested. The gun disappeared. Crowley, now only stifled, ruffled, said now, Take it easy, Ross. Nothing's going to happen to you. I'm going to need you folks, and I'm going to treat you right. Where are we going? I had the boys rent me a big estate, like up in the Catskills. Big place, nice and quiet. In fact, the last tenants used it for one of these rest sanitariums. You know, rich people with DTs are trying to get a monkey off their back. The boys, Patricia said softly. He looked at her and grinned again. Crowley was obviously enjoying himself. I ain't got a few people working for me, he explained. Dr. Brom blurted, You fool! You mean you've revealed the existence of the process Pat Ross and I worked out to a group of ignoramuses? Crowley said angrily. Now look, Doc, don't get on about that bit. Maybe I'm just a country boy, but I'm as smart as the next man. Just because some of you eggheads spend half your life in college don't mean you've got any monopoly on good common sense. I went to the school of hard knocks, understand, and I got plenty of diplomas to prove it. Take it easy on that ignoranus talk. Patricia said suddenly, Don's right, Dr. Braun. I think you've badly underestimated him. Ross snorted sourly at that remark. We've all underestimated him. Well, I think you'll agree that our friend Don will get no more injections of the invisibility serum. Crowley chuckled. They looked at him. Three sinkings of stomach taking place simultaneously. Now you know, I thought that might be your altitude. Attitude, Ross muttered. So I went through the trouble of coming up to your suite last night and sort of confiscating your supply. By the looks of it, I'd say there was enough for another ten shots or so. See, Patricia said to Ross, you're not as smart as you thought you were. Don's one up on you. End of The Common Man, Part 1, by Guy McCord.
also known as Dallas McCord Reynolds, narrated by Ralph J. Martin. <laughs> 